Hi, I'm Adrienne. I help people tell the stories they were told not to talk about. Maybe by their own inner critic. Maybe by the world. Either way, I'm here to serve as a kind of story midwife, birthing these beautiful naked narratives and helping them thrive. Telling our own stories and speaking our own truth should be the easiest thing in the world, but it's not. We all get blocked. We all feel censored, stymied, or silenced at times. We struggle to find the right entry point, to articulate the message we want to convey, and to identify the ideal audience to receive it. And that, my friends, is where I come in. I'm a professional brand voice consultant and story coach. I help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, storytellers, and anyone else who is ready to start living out loud to deliver their authentic voice directly to those who most need to hear it. Are you ready to get authentic? Good, because that's allowed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. I'm your host, Adrienne McKeon, and today we are here with Janine. Janine, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Janine, and um, I'm coming on today to talk about um, surviving an abusive relationship and just to chat with Adrian. <laughs> yeah, so we were friends in high school, just full disclosure here. Yeah. We know each other from way back. Uh, Janine's awesome, and it turns out we had way more in common uh, than we thought we did. <laughs> yeah. In in some not so great ways. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what she brings up around that. But um, I just want to like full disclosure here. Here's here's what I'm dealing with right now. Like what's on my mind. I just got my first one star review on my book. And it's one of those things where I knew it was going to happen. It was inevitable. Right. Right. And everyone tells you hey, you know, when you finally get haters, you know, you've made it. I always say, you know, if the trolls hate it, you know, you've made it. Uh, and it's very true. Like if nobody was paying attention, then they wouldn't be mad about it. <laughs> and you know that your stuff's not going to be for everybody. You know that, mm -hmm. uh, but it still kind of hurts. It still feels kind of yucky. And it was really like, they pushed a big shame button. It was very, it was very gross. Uh, yeah. So, um, so <laughs> like, it's one thing if they say like, oh, your book sucks. Like, okay, you didn't like my book. That's fine. Um, but then they kind of went after me like in a very personal way. And so that is just like, oh, oh man. But again, you know that it's like about them and not about you. And yes. so I just wanted to kind of put that out there that, yeah, everybody gets bad. You know, everybody gets criticism right? Like there's no famous person that you can look at. I think like, you know, nobody doesn't like that. That is bullshit. The yeah. more popular you get, in fact, the more people feel like they have to, you know, throw rocks at you because the higher you are, you know, the, the easier target you become. Oh, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. That's kind of what's up. <laughs> but, um, but I'm so happy to be here with Janine because it's been yep. a long time and there's a lot that we haven't really unpacked that we have in common. So I think we're, I think we're about to get into it. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. we, I mean, we lost touch after high school, but um, it's yeah. Now reading your book, I'm realizing how many things we actually both had in common that, you know, since then that we didn't talk about. Exactly. So, like, yeah. Um, I think those, for, I think those patterns get formed pretty early on. And yeah. it takes a lot of courage and bravery to confront them and, you know, look at that pain instead of trying to numb it or run away from it. And so it can take a lot of decades to even be willing to talk about this stuff. So thank you for being brave enough to come out on here and, and talk about this. No, thanks for having me. Of course. So I'll just throw out the first question, which is what I always start with. What story are you not telling? What story am I not telling? Oh, <laughs> probably just, um, I'm not telling, well, that I'm going to tell. Yeah. Cause you told me yeah. before we pushed record yeah. that your kids don't know this story. No, my kids don't know this story. My parents don't know this story. My husband knows a little bit, but mm -hmm. not all of it. Um, yeah. it was, 
it's just too painful to talk about. And even right now, just thinking about it, I'm feeling a lot of the same feelings I felt when I was actually in the relationship, yeah. you know, yeah. with like the butterflies in your stomach and that nervousness and that um, adrenaline kind of fight or flight feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm even getting that now just thinking about it. And so I choose not to think about it a lot, but, um, you know, after reading your book has really made me realize that it's, it's good to confront it and it's good to talk about it and maybe by doing so you know help other people who are in similar situations and thank you for saying that too because you know I'm in a really vulnerable place right now like I said reading that review and so it's good to remind myself that I didn't write the book just for anyone I wrote the book for people like you I wrote the book for people like you so that you would know that you're not alone yeah exactly (laughs) it's it's hard, you know, not, you know, to read that and to, I mean, I just hope that, you know, maybe somebody out there will listen to this or read your book and then realize that they are in a bad situation and they need to get out before it's too late. That's right. That's right. So the next question is, uh, where, where does it begin for you? And I know this can be a hard question to answer because like I said, these patterns, they can go way back. So I'm yeah. just going to let you decide where it begins for you. I think it, it, it begins for me with my parents' divorce mm-hmm. happening when I was 12. And then I was, um, I was raised by my dad for the rest of the time. And uh, my Same. mom, yeah, I know that <laughs> my mom moved away to uh, Las Vegas and uh, my brother and my sister were nine and 10 years younger than me. So they were two and three years old. And um, my dad was very loving, very, he was present, but he was also very busy with my brother and sister. And so I feel like I didn't get a lot of boundaries put on me. Right. And I, and I didn't get a lot of, um, you know, like strong supervision. Um, But my dad was always very supportive. If I needed to talk to him, he was there and he always Mm -hmm. wanted me to know my self-worth. That was very important to him. And so you know, having him as like a male role model makes me, you know, sad that I ended up in this situation to begin with. But I feel like some of it was a little bit of daddy issues. And I needed, you know, that male presence in my life and to Mm -hmm. feel good about myself. Right. um, Yeah. (laughs) So I think it kind of started there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Because, you know, as we've also realized, there's been, you know, um, when I was a teenager, I was raped. And, um, that was, and I also felt like it was my fault Mm -hmm. and I didn't end up telling the police or anything because I was at a party and I was drunk. And then I was like, well, you're stupid for being at a party and drunk and not really putting the blame on him where it should have been. Um, and can I interject here and say, we recently realized that we were actually raped by the same man, the same man. Yeah. So So, for him, which uh, is I clearly knew. I mean, he said to me at the time, uh, thank you for being so quiet. Uh, most girls, most American girls can be so noisy. So I kind of knew that this was not the first rodeo for him. Um, and that was part of why I did end up filing a report. Fat lot of good that did. Uh, let me tell you, you didn't miss much. Uh, they asked me what kind of underpants I was wearing. Uh, white cotton Hanes is the answer. So yeah, not not super helpful as it turns out. So, right. don't feel don't don't beat yourself up too much about not going to the police. Uh, I know. Well, even after that, I mean, I can kind of. So after I became a nurse, I became a sexual assault nurse examiner to try to help people, you know, like that have been raped. And mm-hmm. the cops haven't changed. A lot of them were in the same, you know. Well, what was she wearing? Can you tell by the exam that she was raped? Can you tell by you know? And yeah, and it was always uh, her fault a lot of the time. Um, well, it, it just seemed like that. And it, it was very hard to change their opinion on that where I'm like, you know, people act differently and yeah, some are falsely accused, but they kind of, they made it seem like everyone was falsely, falsely accusing. Right. But well, um, I just want to say, it's really awesome that you decided to do that with your life. That's really awesome. So thank yeah. you for that. Well, hope it helps some people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what would you say is the, the culmination of this? What was the point in your life where you were like, whoa, this has gotten out of hand, this pattern? This, um, not until I ended up leaving. 
mm-hmm. the, the relationship, which was when I was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed almost 29. I stayed married for 11 years because I did not want to get divorced again. And I did not want to put my children through what I went through. Yeah. And, um, but I think it really just generated from, um, you know, a little bit, like I said, the daddy issues and then the low self-esteem. And uh, my dad was totally prepared to send me to, you know, John Hopkins University. And I was, that was my dream. I wanted to do that. And it all ended up not happening. So the summer between my um, 10th and 11th grade year, I went to Florida to visit my mom and moved to Florida. Uh, I spent a couple years living in South Florida when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. So um, I had some friends there. So I was hanging out with my really good friend and she had a crush on this guy that was in a band. And then that's how I met Greg. Um, so I met him in the, he was his drummer and we spent the whole summer together where we were just dating and everything. And at first, um, of course he was very charming, very oh, nice. They always very are. Considerate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, saw no red flags whatsoever. Um, I ended up, you know, that was like a summer, all summer long in Florida. And then I came to Colorado and I went to school and then, um, winter break. They, I went back to Florida um, in my 11th grade year. We were about to do Oliver. I was. <laughs> I remember it well. I was, even, I was even cast in Oliver. And yeah, so I, I left and I went to um, Florida again for my winter break. And while I was there, um, you know, I kept seeing him. And then um, I found out my dad just got married, like kind of didn't, didn't even meet her. And it was really odd. Wait, I'm sorry, what? He, yeah. he Okay, so he, he married someone married. that he had, hadn't met? I hadn't met her. And I neither, see. And neither had the children. Neither had um, my brother and sister. Right. <laughs> so he went, yeah, he went on a vacation to Ohio to visit his best friend, and he came back with a wife two weeks wow. later. It was, uh, yeah, it was pretty shocking. And uh, to say the least, we did not get along. Yeah. Um, because she thought I had too many liberties, you know, I, that, cause dad let me do whatever I wanted. Right. And she really wanted to be really, really, really strict. And I'm like, you can't go backwards. Yeah. It doesn't really work 16, that way. 17 years old. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so that had happened shortly before I went for winter break. Um, and so her and I fought constantly. We just did not get along. And, um, so I decided when I was there that I wanted to stay not only with my boyfriend, but I wanted to stay with my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I called my dad and I said, I'm transferring to Florida um, and going to do high school there. I ended up just getting my GED because it was easier. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I was just boyfriend, girlfriend with Greg. And then um, I saw his uh, jealousy streak come out. His what? One time. His jealousy Oh, mm-hmm. but it started because I was working at a Harley Davidson shop selling, you know, apparel and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have a car and he was late coming to pick me up. So I got a ride home from one of the other guys. Mm-hmm. And when he saw this guy dropping me off, he flipped a lid and um, he pushed me. He accused me of, you know, sleeping around on him. Um, he was furious. Yeah, And I had never seen that side of him before. And I was like, I am not dealing with this. So I packed up my stuff and I went to my grandmother's house. Um, And then I found out a week later I was pregnant. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I was 17. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And you do, right? Yeah. What do you do? I don't believe in abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself, I feel like it's fine for other people if that's what they choose to do, but I just didn't feel it was a good choice for me. Right. Um, so I, first I called my dad and I said, you know, can I come home? Will this work? And he was like, no. Um, he said, I'm not raising a kid. Um, so wow. I kind of, I know, so I kind of felt trapped and I thought about it for a while and I called I went back to Greg and I explained the situation and I thought, well, maybe, you know, if I tell him that I didn't like his, you know, jealousy and I won't stand Mm -hmm. for that. And if that happens again, I'll leave. Maybe he'll take me more seriously. Right. Um, Of course, (laughs) didn't. (laughs) 
but by that time, what do I do? How, I'm curious though, how did he respond to that? Did he say, yeah, okay, and then just act exactly the same way? Or did he just say, no, I am who I am? Well, no, he, he said, yes, okay. He was very sorry. It was right. always that honeymoon phase. Then he was sweet as can be. Of course. Um, yeah. He said, you know, uh, at first too, he, he didn't want, he wanted me to get an abortion too. And I was, said no. And then after a while he decided that, um, or I think it was his mom that convinced him that he should probably marry me since I was going to have his child. Right. Um, I don't think either one of us really wanted to get married, but we were like, oh, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did funny yeah. thing, what we do for, you know, our children and thinking that we're doing the right thing for our children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it went, it just went on where he wouldn't, he would always get a job, but then he'd always get fired because he'd call in sick all the time. So, I'm the one who worked. Um, I decided I was going to go to school and get my nursing degree because kind of the doctor thing was out the window. So Mm -hmm. I had, I had my first child, Tiana and, um, it's a beautiful name. Thank you. Tatiana is her full name, but Mm -hmm. also beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. And so then we went, uh, I was just going part-time to the community college. I was slowly, you know, chipping away, getting my degree, also working full-time as a nursing assistant at the hospital. And um, it was just, every time I came home, you know, it was, he was just so jealous. It was always accusatory, you know, what doctor hit on you today? Who are you with today? Who are you sleeping with today? You know, why, why are you five minutes late getting home? Uh Why is this, you know, he would do drive-bys. Mm-hmm. at my work. And one time when I parked in a different place, he stormed into my work, just furious, wanting to know where the heck I was. Right. And I was like working in an emergency room at the time. And I'm like, um, you can't just walk in here. I'm working. Yeah. And, uh, he never worked. So I supported him fully while I was going to school and raising my daughter. And he never even watched the, watched my daughter. She went to, da- yeah. I had daycare and family to watch her. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I put up with it as long as I did, but it was just, Oh baby, you know, I know. Cause you've read my book, you know, oh, yeah. I know it's one of those things where you, when, when you're in it, it's so hard to see the edges of it, you know, and all you can see is I'm going to be the asshole if I'm the one who leaves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I really didn't want to do that to the children. Yep. But yep. I mean, I, I even had, I tried to join the air force because um, I thought if I join the Air Force, then I can have uh, more support for myself and my children, and I have health care, and then, and then I can leave him. And when I went for my physical for the Air Force, I discovered I was pregnant with my second child. So, and it was bad because we were both, him and I were both out of work for a little bit while I was trying to get into the Air Force, and so I didn't have money to buy birth control. And then... Mm. Yeah. That happened. Because if I did not, if I did not agree and have sex when he wanted to have sex oh, yeah. and I got it, then it was forceful anyway. So it's yeah. like, I might as well just comply. Absolutely. It's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and then it was always the constant verbal abuse of, you know, don't, if you leave me, no one else will want you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one's going to want you with two kids. No one's going to want someone who, you know, is just a nursing assistant and you let, and, and this is coming from someone who wasn't working. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just, just it's rich, right? <laughs> just so astounding to me. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah. this is all these tactics so familiar, so familiar. And right. that, you know, it's like his pleasure means everything, your pleasure means nothing. His pain means everything, your pain means nothing. No. It is it, it is drilled into you until you feel like you are literally just a receptacle for his emotions and his whatever, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I mean, it even, I mean, and I hate to say this, but it got to the point where I thought that maybe if I cheated on him and got caught, like uh-huh. I purposely got caught, mm-hmm. so then maybe he would just leave me. Or kill and, you. And either way it's over, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So he didn't just leave me. And of course he apologized and, and, you know, he 
begged me to come back, begged me, begged me, started being sweet again, started being the, the man that I loved again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a couple short weeks, I, I got the beating of my life. I was yeah. covered in bruises. I had chunks of my hair pulled out. Oh. I should have, I, I don't know why I did not go to the police. Um, his mom saw it and she, cause she lived in the same apartment complex we did. And, you know, she yelled at him for doing that to me, but, um, and I thought that that was enough for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it got so bad, uh, yeah, I don't know why I just kept staying in because then I felt like I was the bad one because I did something oh, bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I did yeah. something to hurt, hurt him. I, I humiliated him. Mm-hmm. So I, now you feel like you deserve it and yeah. this is your punishment and you should just take it. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And the thing is, I, you know, I totally get it. The thing about like, oh, well, that seemed like enough. It's amazing how you get the Stockholm syndrome where you empathize with him. You empathize mm-hmm. with him and you feel like, I, I remember, you know, being terrified to call the police because a he was black and you know how the police treat black people in this country and b his country was in the middle of a civil war and i didn't like the idea of him being sent home in you know in the middle of a civil war and so i'm you know i'm taking all of this because i'm like hey i've already taken it this long you know like obviously i'm strong enough to handle it yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep taking it uh, rather than put him in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt the same way. And, you know, I, I felt like I had hurt him and he was such a good guy to stay with me mm. um, through the fact that, you know, I had cheated on him and all of that. And, and he was, you know, he was the victim, not me. Right. Um, and oh, yeah. just, I just kept plugging away at school, even though he kept telling me that school was a waste of my time. And he made it very difficult for me to go to college. But I finally got my degree. And um, I signed on with a hospital to work in the emergency room. I got a sign on bonus, but I had to do two years. And I did two years and a lot of it was working, um, you know, along all these other very um, powerful, smart women, very independent that made me you know, they would talk about their home life. And then I'd realize that mine wasn't right. There was something so different with the way they talked about their husbands. And I talked about mine yeah. and it just seemed, you know, we, we couldn't do anything socially because he didn't have any friends and he didn't get along with people. And his favorite pastime was to talk crap about everyone else. And <laughs> that was, and, and he wanted, and he, I would want to isolate me from my family. So he would always talk about what a bad person my mom was, what a bad person my dad was, how stupid my brother and sister were, mm-hmm. how I shouldn't even be around them. So it was very, he was also very isolating. And it got yeah. to the point where I was like, you know what? No, no, this is my family and I love them and I'm going to spend time with them. And if you don't, if you don't want to come, then you don't have to come. And it took a while to get there, but I would started doing that. I started going on, you know, I started going to my mom's house, who was still living in Florida at the time, and just spending time with her. And he would get mad, and I didn't care. And it got to the point where I really didn't care. He'd come home, I'd come home, and he would be like, you know, um, so who are you with today? And I was like, oh, you know, first I started out with the respiratory therapist, and it was really nice. And then there was this doctor, and he was really hot, so I went ahead and had to do, and, you know, all this, and I was just, you know, bluffing, of course, but it, it got to the point where I just didn't care. And he'd be yeah. like, you don't love me. And, and then I would say, you you know what? You're right. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, you know, after my two years was up, I said, I'm moving back to Colorado because I don't want to raise my two girls here in South Florida because it was a very bad educational system. Mm-hmm. I mean, he graduated high school there and didn't even know algebra. It was, I mean, wow. it was really bad. <laughs> it was like not compared to, you know, where we went to school. Yeah. Um, I was just like, I want to get them back to Colorado about around my family. My brother and sister were still here, aunts and uncles, cousins, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted that. So um, he didn't want to move. I just moved. And I was like, I don't care if you come or not. <laughs> and he yeah. came and we lasted about one more year here. And like, right before we got divorced, we did go on a trip to Amsterdam um, it was like my first vacation I had taken in years, but I had been working as a nurse then for about four years. So, mm-hmm. um, did that. And while we were there, he was like, I'm going to go to the red light district and I'm going to pick up some, 
I was like, okay, go ahead. I said, I'm going to the Anne Frank Museum. (laughs) 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 And I think, and he did, and he did. I, well, at least he told me he did. I, I, and I don't care. I just like, that was, that was what the point was, is I just did not care. Mm -hmm. And when I got back, I was like, you know, this, I, I really just, I don't care anymore. Like I, I don't love him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was terrified. I only weighed 90 pounds the entire time oh. I was married to him because he made me so nervous all the time. It was like walking on eggshells. I never knew when I came home, if he was going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. Yeah. If I was going to get, you know, yelled at for something I didn't do. Um, it's very frightening. And, um, so I did, I, I called, it was one night I was actually watching the Sopranos and, um, I saw one character, I can't remember her name, but she basically, she was in an abusive relationship and they killed her out in the woods. And I was like, I I thought to myself, that's going to be me. Yeah. If I don't change something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that exact night I told him that I wanted a divorce and, um, he got an, he had a knife, which I didn't know. He held it to my throat and he was like, you are not leaving me. I could kill you right now. And I stayed calm and I said, you know what? Go ahead because it's better than living in this fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and you'll go to jail forever because mm-hmm. you'll be the prime suspect. That's right. And, but I was kind of ready to yeah. die at that point. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to go on living the way I was. Yeah. It, it was, it was weird that I kind of just, I accepted it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it was my lack of terror that made him not do it. Yeah. You know, I, he, he, I think he realized at that point he didn't have control over me. That's right. And so he, he didn't, he took the knife away, but he was yelling and he was mad. And I went to call and he took my cell phone and he threw it against the wall and broke. He ripped out the landline that I had. So there was no way for me to call the police. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I just, I got up and I grabbed my girls and I put them in the car and I started to back out and he stood behind me and I just kept going. I, I pushed him. I mean, and I was like, I was said to him, I better, I was like, you better get out of the way or I'll run you over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I did, I did. I mean, my car touched him. It kept mm-hmm. pushing him and pushing him. And finally he got the idea and he came around to my window cause I had my window down cause I was yelling at him. And he reached in and he grabbed the keys out of the ignition. And I had my pepper spray on me and I sprayed him with pepper spray. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Good for you, Jane. <laughs> and I got my keys back and I went to my dad's house um, with my girls. Mm. And I was like, and I told my dad, you know, that it was bad. And I told him that I was being abused and I told him that I needed to stay there and I needed help. And, you know, my dad was there for me. He let me stay there. The next day I went back to the house and I had a police escort and I got everything, got my stuff out. And, um, I called his mom and I, you know, cause his mom controlled him. So I called his mom and I was like, I'm, I'm getting a divorce and, um, I want Greg out of the house because I'm going, you know, I'm going to the courthouse with this. And, um, she did the next day. She, she hired a U-Haul and um, she had, you know, him and I, I forget who she flew out there. I think one of his cousins, she flew one of his cousins to Colorado cause she lived in Kentucky and um, they cleaned me out and I didn't care. I was like, I said, take whatever you want. I don't care. I'll, I'll yeah. replace it. Yeah. I don't care. Take it yeah. off. It's just stuff. Who cares? Yeah. 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 And he moved out <sighs> and uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, and I have to say too, right there at the end, one of the worst things was when he was yelling at me in the kitchen and he had thrown me on the floor and my little Erica, my younger daughter, she was only like four or five at the time. And she like sat on me and she protected me and she told him, she was like, don't hurt mommy. And she still remembers that to this day, you know? And I was like, I can't make my girls think that this is okay. That's right. That's right. And that was another thing that you know, really gave me the courage to leave. Yeah. It's such a big thing. It's such a big thing. But I love that moment when you know they don't have power over you anymore. Do you know what I mean? I always describe it. It's like the end of labyrinth. 
when she just looks at him and says, you have no power over me. Yes. It it, it is. It's it's like this little light bulb that goes off. It's like, oh my God, the only thing that's ever given you power over me was me. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to make that choice. I don't have to make that choice. It was so refreshing. It was so refreshing. And it was shortly after that, I went to our 10 year reunion Mm -hmm. and I saw all these people that I hadn't seen in so long. Yeah. Such a great time. And I smiled and I was able to have fun. Mm -hmm. I was able to flirt with people. (laughs) Um, I was able to drink because he would not let me drink. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was able to do all of that. And it felt so liberating. So liberating. You know, you came to one of my parties shortly after. That's so funny. Like we were in basically the same place and we didn't know it. (laughs) No, because that was almost the exact same time that I left him and came back for the 10 year high school reunion. Yeah. I mean, it, it just felt so good. And, yeah. you know, um, and Melissa was there and, 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 you know, Melissa was my best friend. Yeah. And she really helped me too. I mean, she really did. It was, yeah. and she like did stuff with me and like got me kind of to go out again and do stuff mm-hmm. again. And, and, and it's just funny. And yeah. And some of our friends like Brett and Danny and just hanging mm-hmm. out with them and they're like, it's okay to have fun. It's okay yeah. to drink. It's okay to, you know, to go to Rocky Horror Picture Show again. It's exactly. a way to, go, to do all this, you know? And I was, exactly. it's, it was, I mean, I felt like I was like a college kid again. Yeah. Because I didn't have that. Right, right. <laughs> and then yeah. having all the fun, it was just, and, and then I realized, and even my friends at work, they were like, wow, you are a totally different person. They yeah. thought I was mousy and reserved. And <laughs> they realized that I am not at all. I am very, you know, outgoing and extroverted and assertive. And, you know, um, now I'm in management. Like it just kind of, <laughs> it just took a, it totally changed who I was. Yeah, um, it, it does. Totally changed who I was. It changes your entire personality and just being, you know, out of touch with yourself. Yeah. It affects everything. It affects your health. It affects, you know, the way you interact with everyone, everything it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I can say, like when you think about it, if you're in a bad place and you're in a bad relationship and you think if I leave, I'm going to miss him, you know, but then look back at it and think, but do you miss yourself more? Right. If you yeah. can't be yourself, mm-hmm. it's suffocating. Yeah. It's, it's like you're dying. Absolutely. So <laughs> what's blocked you from telling this story before? Oh, I think, you know, the, the feelings that the feeling that I, I was, I was responsible for, you know, I told some people in the very beginning and they were like, well, why didn't you leave before? Why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you, why didn't you, mm-hmm. you know, a restraining order against them? You know, how could you let your kids be in that situation for as long as you did? And it was just, I felt, I still felt bad. And yeah. it's, I felt it was kind of the same way as when you're in the relationship, you still feel like you're responsible. Yeah. For it. There's and so much shame around it. So much. Shame. There is, there yeah. is so much shame. And I think, you know, I'm just now getting to a point where I'm starting to realize that it, none of it, my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, that uh, it's a very common thing not very com- too common for sure yeah, too common uh, it's too common but i've heard enough other people's stories now to know that it's not just me and that i wasn't at fault that's right yeah, yeah. it's a pattern that plays itself out in a lot of different ways in a lot of different relationships and shame is what keeps us stuck in it shame is exactly what keeps us stuck in it and it's what keeps us silent and so the more we look at this stuff, talk about this stuff, get it out there. It, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yeah. And yeah. now both my daughters are in their twenties. So I think that they can hear about it now. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to trash their dad when, right. You know, I didn't want them to think badly of their father. I wanted them to still have a good relationship with them if it was possible. Yeah. And I found out a couple years ago, actually my oldest daughter, Tiana, she's, she has cut ties with him. Mm-hmm. And she said that, you know, one time when she visited him, he got mad at her because she was sick and didn't feel like doing anything. And he ended up actually like slamming her up against the wall. And 
then she looked at him and she was like, if you don't let go of me, I will tell mom and she will never let me see you again. Mm. And I guess, and then I would, and then he stopped and, but she did, she called me right away and she was like, come and get me now. Yeah. And I did, I went and I got her, but she never told me what happened until like a couple years ago. Cause she said, if she, she knew if she told me, I would never let her go back to him mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, but now um, they're, they're estranged now. And that was just, he was mean to her on, you know, yeah, on the phone and through text messages. And he just doesn't respect who she is. And he kept telling her, you're, you're mm. too much like your mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, you know, you see that it's, it's him, it's not you and it's not her, it's him. That's just how he deals with things when he can't control somebody, you know, when he can't control a situation. He yeah. makes you wrong and he shames you. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you think, uh, this is an obvious question, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway. Who do you think needs to hear this? I think many women need to hear this. Um, and, and, and some men, P.S. And some men, yes. And, you know, read, read your book. Listen to stuff like that. Realize they're not alone. Realize yeah. that this is a problem and that they're not the ones to blame and get out of it before, yeah. before you can't. Yeah. And, um, so I would, I would like to reach as many people as possible, but I really think my, my, my daughters need to know. Absolutely. Um, my mom, she was, I was talking to her about this on Saturday that I was going to come on here and do this. And she was like, I don't even know your story. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I was ashamed. Yeah. I was ashamed to tell you about it. I was ashamed to tell dad about it, it you know, and I, I mean, I don't really care if he hears it or not, or if he knows it, I, I really just don't care anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I had to let go of that. I was very angry for a very long time mm-hmm. um, at, at him where it's like, I wished death upon him. And <laughs> I was very, very bitter and angry. And um, everybody kept telling me, you got to let go of that. You got to, yeah. you know, you got to forgive him and you got to let go of that. And I feel like just recently I've done that Yeah. Uh, where, you know, I, he did, he did what he did and there was no controlling it maybe on his part. I don't know why. Maybe he's got mental illness or something, Um, but it's not my fault. And I'm way better off now than he is. And so Mm -hmm. karma kind of took care of it. Yeah. It usually does. It usually does. Yeah. There's definitely part of me that, that fears that, you know, my ex is going to get a copy of this book, that he's going to find it and that he's going to try to make trouble for me. Uh, I changed the spelling of his name slightly, but it's not, (laughs) I didn't go too far because it was like anyone can easily look up the records to find out who this is. Right. Right. Um, and so it was a hard decision for me and that's part of why it took me 20 years to publish this book. Um, but the bottom line is I figured, well, you know, it's true. Everything I said was true. I'm sure he doesn't remember it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So he can tell his side of the story if he wants to, but, uh, yeah. I don't think it makes me look good, very good either. (laughs) You know, it's not like I made myself look wonderful and him look like a monster. It's like, oh. (laughs) But but reading it and knowing you in high school, you know, and knowing the person that you were, it is, it, and, and this is what I've been told this thing, but it's hard to believe that you let your, you know, that, that you let yourself get in that situation. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's what my my husband right now um, tells me because, you know, him and I dated when I was in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. Um, but I never got over him ever. Yeah. Like I always loved him. Always, always mm-hmm. loved him. And it just so happened, you know, that when I was getting divorced, he was getting divorced and mm-hmm. he um, started talking. But he tells me, he was like, you know, the person that you were when I met, when I knew you in high school he was like, I could never think that person would end up in an, in a relationship. He was, you were so headstrong. You had everything going for you. You were an intelligent, um, you had personality coming out your ears. You know, he was like, I just can't believe that you let somebody dominate you like that. And, um, but yeah. that's just it. 
anyone can end up in a situation like that. Anyone. Anyone can. And it's this myth that, you know, oh, it's like the shy, mousy, like timid women that end up, you know, getting dominated. No, no. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can happen to anyone. And the only, you know, the only common thread is that they, that we have some kind of shame that they can hook into and Mm -hmm. that we're kind people who want to help other people and they convince us that we can fix them or we can help them and that it is our responsibility to do so, to stay and help them get better. Right. (laughs) That's the only real common thread. And so anyone who's out there listening right now who is in an abusive situation or has been in an abusive situation, I just want you to hear that loud and clear. This is not about you. It's not about you. It's about patterns that probably have, probably go back generations, probably go back generations. And you can't change him. And you can't change him. You cannot. Even her, wants, yeah. Even person. if they want you to change them, you can't. Yeah, it you is can't. impossible. They have to want to be different. That's right. And, and it, yeah. if someone comes to you and says, hey, I know I have this problem. I'm working on it. Here are all the ways that I'm working on it. Here's a way that you could help me work on it. That is a different situation. Totally. Yes. When someone is only partially aware of the pattern... Mm-hmm. Even if they say to you, Hey, I need help. Can you help me? No, you can't. You can't. No. That is theirs to work out. And, and the- P.S. they can't fix your problems either. I mean, this was a big thing for me too, was I realized that, you know, looking back that part of the reason I got into this situation was that I felt out of control. I was, you know, uh, acting out in a lot of different ways in my life and was not respecting myself. And so I wanted someone to come and take over control of my life. I wanted them to take the wheel. And I learned pretty quickly that, oh, that doesn't work either. You can't actually hand over your boundaries to somebody else and say, hey, keep these safe. It doesn't work like that. Then they're not your boundaries anymore. (laughs) So for better or worse, you are forced to be free. Yeah. And I think both you and I have a common thing too, where it's like, we're not going to let someone else, you, you kind of do something just to prove that you can. Oh yeah. And so, yeah. you know, when, <laughs> when I got in that unfortunate situation and everyone was like, oh, young marriage doesn't, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. And, you know, um, your parents were divorced, your grandparents were divorced. You'll probably end up divorced. I was like, nope, I'm going to nope. prove it. Digging in. I am. I am going to prove it. I am going to get married at this age. I'm going to have my child. I'm going to do this and I am not going to get divorced. And you know, you do, you do it because you want to prove everyone else wrong. That's right. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh, cross cultural relationships are hard. Oh yeah. Well, watch this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and part of it too, is that just like you said, it's like whenever someone tells you you're wrong or, you know, it's not going to work like you double down you double down. And so this is why whenever someone tells me, you know, that they're in a a situation and they're not sure if it's abusive or not, or whatever it is, you know, your automatic response is to kind of go, well, of course it is. And you should get out of that. And they're bad and they're hurting you. And, you know, don't you see that? But that often is exactly the wrong thing to do because that is what makes them double down and dig Mm -hmm. in and go, no, no, no. And starts defending them and finding reasons why they should stay. And so whenever I see a situation like that, I just work on, okay, well, what do you want? What do you want? Let's try to make your boundaries important. Let's try to make your self-love and your self-worth important here. How can we find ways for you to get more of what you want in your life? And eventually they will learn that being in this relationship and being the person they want to be are incompatible, but that is not for me to decide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. I think, you know, I, I didn't get to the point where I could get out of that relationship until I started to love myself and realize that I had self-worth and realize that, you know, I was a good person and that I had something to offer and that I didn't deserve what I, what was being done to me, and I didn't deserve the treatment I was getting, and it it took a long time to to feel that way, 
and some people might say that you know you're selfish for thinking that way but you know um because i learned quickly after that after that relationship i know when i'm in something that's not going to work mm-hmm. and if i'm in another re- when, you know because i've had other relationships and i realized pretty quickly that no this isn't what i want this isn't going to work out this isn't what i want for my life and and i'm never i'm never going to stay in something i don't want to be in again yeah and so i learned that it's it's still okay it's it's okay to be like i'm i know we moved in together or even you know getting married again and realizing that hey this you know this isn't right we were better friends than we were a couple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i just realized that early on and i didn't want to live the rest of my life without that that fiery passionate love you know that everybody talks about that you see on movies you know i wanted oh, that yeah. oh yeah of course yeah. but the thing is you can you can have both you oh can- now i have it <laughs> exactly exactly so do i but you I know, know i know that's the other thing you i have saw. to yeah you have to believe it's possible you have to believe it's yeah. possible that you can have that fire and that passion and be respected yes. and treated like a human you can have yeah. both absolutely but it's hard. You know, I, I totally get that feeling of you have to love yourself first. And that feels so cheesy and it feels so corny to even say that like, Oh, I have to love myself first obviously duh, but love is an active verb. Mm -hmm. It's not a feeling. It's not a thing you fall into and stumble out of. Okay. It's a thing that you actively create and you have to create that love for yourself. And that requires spending quality time with yourself it requires getting to know yourself. And the yes. thing is, you know, the, you, the t- question of deserving that comes up a lot. It's like, well, uh, did I deserve this treatment or didn't I? You know what? It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. We don't always get what we deserve in life, right? Some people get cancer for no fucking reason. Some people uh, deserve, uh, you know, uh, to, to go to jail and never do. Uh, it's a, it's a crazy, wacky world, right? The bottom line is you can always have self-compassion and you can always forgive yourself because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes stupid choices. (laughs) And if you didn't, then like smell you, Nancy Drew, but like you probably had a pretty boring life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. You got to realize that you got to, you know, you also got to give yourself what you need and, you know, and, you know, do what, and maybe everyone else doesn't think it's right, but if, if it's what you need to do and it's what you want, then you need to do it. That's right. Nobody else gets a vote and no. let people call you selfish. Let people call you a jerk, whatever, you know, th- this is the bottom line when you are ready to leave and you'll know when you're like, okay, I'm ready. Be prepared that the person you're leaving and a lot of other people are going to think you're a bad person. They're gonna. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. They're going to, they're going to call you every name in the book and they're going to make you feel guilty. They're going to try to make you feel guilty, but the only one who can make you feel guilty is you. And you do not have to accept that. And you can just decide, Hey, that's their opinion. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. Just like my one star reviewer, man, you are entitled to your opinion. <laughs> that's right. To it, right. <laughs> nobody, nobody has to love me. It is not required. And the, but the bottom line is you do, you have to love you. And you have to live with you and they don't. So you got to make choices that are right for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question I always ask, what is the main message or takeaway in this story? (laughs) The main message is to, you know, like we've been talking about, love yourself. Mm -hmm. Above all else, you need to love yourself. Um, And I mean, the old saying is true and it's a saying for a reason, but it's, you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. Yeah. And if, if it's before that, then it's, it's lust or it's the idea of them or it's the idea of love or it's the idea of marriage or whatever you're talking about. Yeah. It's Um, a fantasy. It's the fantasy that you're in love with. Yeah. But really it takes a long time. I feel like, and I, I feel like when we're young and we're idealistic, um, you know, you're, you're like, Oh, I'm good. You know, but it really takes a while. And then when you look back, you're like, you know what? I do love myself and I don't care what anyone else says about me. I don't care what lies my ex might say about me. 
what he told his friends happened between us, what he told his mom or his family or any of that. I don't care. Yeah. Cause I know, I know my side, I know my truth and that's all that matters. And I think that's the main thing that you just, you have to love yourself and you have to forgive those people who have, you know, done wrong to you because like you said, it doesn't, you know, life doesn't happen to you. <laughs> it happens for you. It happens for you. And I, I love that. I, I do. I yeah. love that saying, because it is so true. Because you are always in control. You can always change something. You are never, no one is ever stuck in any situation. You can always change it. Yeah. No matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn exactly. it back. It doesn't matter. You could be walking down the aisle and then you can change your mind. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Kind of, kind of wish I had. Okay. I know. Me too. Me too. It's still okay. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing your story too. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, like I said, made me want to share as well. And that's why I told it. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> it was perfect timing to have this today. So is there anything else uh, the audience needs to know? Um, is there a place that they can find you if they want to uh, continue this conversation with you? Um, they could find me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, Janine Purdy Salmon. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they could hit me up on Messenger or just anything like that. Um, also on Instagram, I think I'm the same name. <laughs> That's awesome. fine. Yeah. I'm, I would always be willing, you know, to talk about this more. It's Thank important. You. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for being here. <laughs>Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode inspiring or at least entertaining. Please subscribe and tell all of your friends to subscribe and, you know, like me and rate me and say nice things about me on social media. All that stuff really matters and it costs you zero dollars. And speaking of things that cost zero dollars, I give out 20 minute consultations for free for new clients. So listen, if you've got a story you're not telling, a brand that's in need of an authentic voice or a brand voice that's in need of great content and an audience to enjoy it, I would love to help you out. Head on over to my website, thatsallowed.com, to find out more. Are you ready to make your voice heard? Good, because that's allowed. <laughs>